Lord, we just thank you that um, you care. You care about us and you care about everyone. Lord, help us to share your heart. Help us, if we need to, to share your heart for ourselves. Help us to share our heart for others. Spirit of Jesus, um, have your way with us this morning. Amen. When I got, well, well, when I was thinking about getting married, I realized I had feelings for Melissa, and I consulted a few wise people and um, prayed hard. And I was looking for some direction from the Bible, because that's what it's for, isn't it? To help us make the big decisions in life. Um, God led me to Proverbs 31 and realized that my mum was a Proverbs 30, is a Proverbs 31 woman, and that that was an appropriate measuring point for the woman I wanted to marry. And as I measured Melissa quite, and I'm a, I'm a feelings guy, right? You know that. But I did this weird rational journey into getting married because I didn't trust my feelings because I had some shockers with my feeling thoughts, feeling, feeling responses. You ever had that problem? Um, so I went this rational journey. I just was measuring Melissa against Proverbs 31 and it really, she really fitted um, Proverbs 31. I didn't realize how literally though. And um, <laughs> she doesn't know where I'm going. No one knows where I'm going with this. I'm just going to humble myself. So at home, um, <laughs> when I can't get the lid off a jar, Proverbs 31, there's a verse, verse 17 says, she sets about her work vigorously. That's true of Melissa, isn't it? Her arms are strong for her tasks. <laughs> Look at those guns. My gosh. I'm not going to get you to open, it's all right. It's quite humbling for me, right, as a bloke in the house, that sometimes I have to get my, if the lid's stuck, I've got to ask my wife to get it unstuck. It's really good for my pride and really good for my humility journey to actually have to ask my wife, I'm not the only one. <laughs> So this morning I want to talk about feeling stuck. If we feel stuck, maybe we need to humble ourselves and ask for help. Because only God can help us get unstuck. And we'll look at, look at three little checks, I guess. You know, when we've got something wrong at the doctor, we go and get some checkups or the dentist. Or I've finally gone to the dentist within a six-month period. He used to say, can you come back for a checkup in six months? I said, I haven't been here for three years or seven years. I said, can I, if I, let's aim for 12 months checkups and if I nail that. But then I got this really nasty infection in my gum and I've become a convert of the six months checkup. <laughs> Funny that, isn't it? How pain and consequences can get our attention, friends. So maybe you're in pain and consequences today because God wants your attention. Just a thought. So I'm sorry I haven't got an outline because I'll humble myself too and the photocopies run out of toner. So 
I desperately need a secretary, so pray for that. Um, we've got one who would be happy to work for us, but um, we're just trying to get through some bureaucracy, so pray for that too. Um, we have got an outline up here. If you do want, I don't, oh, can you do something for me? Even though I haven't got outlines, I'd love everyone to have an A5 piece of paper, especially for my third point, and probably for the response time, just a blank piece. They can take notes on one side if they want, but keep one side for, we're going to do some drawing. That'll be fun, won't it? All right, first point, if I feel stuck, I might need to check my pulse. So, you don't know where I'm going with this. To make sure I'm dead. Dead to self. That's the first point. Because if we want to do a Christian journey, the first thing we actually got to do is die. Just like Paul did. He, Apostle Paul died to everything that went before. Colossians 3.3 3 says, For you died. And you're, he's, this is Paul talking to the Colossians. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's what I love about the whole thing of baptism, you know. The idea of going down in the water, maybe we should hold people under there a bit longer. The idea of going down in the water is to die. It's symbolizing I'm dying to my will and my way and what I want. Then you can't rise before you die when we're dead. Then we get raised in new life in the power of the Holy Spirit and His life. See, the problem is we want the power of the Spirit and the life without the death. Actually can't happen. So how do I check if I'm dead enough? I think there's a few easy ways. It's not that hard, actually. I'll keep you in suspense while they're handing out the paper because, you know, don't want you to miss anything. Thank you. The other reason I married Melissa is there's no way I would have been able to run a church by myself because I'm just not organized enough. <laughs> you don't have to laugh. Invalidation. All right. Here's just a few things, I think. When I'm dead enough, my will is under control. My will, my self-will. When I'm dead enough, my wants are under control. Oh, I really want it. Next time you really want something, try and experiment, right? Go and spend some time with God, reading the Word, praying or worshipping, and see if the want just doesn't fly out the window. I do it sometimes when I'm anxious. I just get alone with God and suddenly I get his, well, it's not always suddenly, but I end up with his peace. And I wonder what happened to my anxiety? Oh, that's right. I got, I went to where I need to go to get my needs met. Here's an easy one to check. When I'm dead enough, my temper's under control. Because mind you, I think my temper's strongly connected to my wants and my will. Just talking about myself. And my lust is under control. Yeah, lust is not just about sexuality. It's about eating and anything. I want it and I want it now. That's lust. And I must have it. 
If we find ourselves willing or wanting or raging or lusting, we're probably not dead enough. How do we die? I think there's a few ways. Says so Romans six one the same way is count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ. I think it's just reminding ourselves sometimes that we're living for Christ, we're not living for our flesh. And this is a wrestle the whole time we're on earth before we die. There's going to be this wrestle because we live in a fleshly body, right? So we have a mind, will, and emotions, and physical things, and so we've got to wrestle, right? But I think it's like this, right? We've got a sausage dog. And, and he's got no, some of you, I don't know whether, some people don't have that switch either, but he's got no like off switch for his appetite. Do you have that problem? Um, he's got that problem. So he will just feed him, right? Sometimes Melissa has fed him and gone out. And I've had to text her to say, have you fed the dog? Because he looks just as starving after he's fed as before he's fed. And friends, our flesh is like that. It doesn't matter how much we feed Henry, he's going to want more. And it doesn't matter how much we give in to our flesh and our wants and our will. We're just feeding it and it's going to get hungrier and more powerful. And the other way we keep Henry thin, we just give him two chicken necks and that's tough. See? No, it's good. He has some bickies in the morning. And every time he goes to the vet, he gets a check and he, and he gets a tick. See, if we feed our flesh, it's just going to grow. But if we starve it or if we manage what we feed it, it will stay under control. Have you ever noticed that? The less you eat, the less you want to eat. You know? The more you surrender to God, the more you want to surrender to God. The more you read the Word, the more you want to read the Word. The less you read the Word, the less you want to read the Word. you ever notice that? It's a real thing. So if I feel stuck, the first thing I need to do is check if I've died. Probably. Make sure I'm dead to self. Secondly, if I feel stuck, I might need to check my behavior. It's not hard to do. To make, just need to stop long enough and do a little bit of reflection. Check my behavior to make sure that I'm full of the Spirit. How do I know if I'm full of the Spirit of God? Well, firstly, I need to give my life to Jesus. That's how we access the Spirit in the first place. Dear Lord Jesus. Thank you for being the Son of God, for dying for my sins, for coming back to life. Please forgive me for my sins or my independence. Please be my Lord and Saviour. That's how we access the Holy Spirit. But I believe then we need to really die. See, some people at conversion get the dead thing right. They just die. And suddenly they have this... I think that's where some people have a really significant conversion experience. You see some people that get converted and it's like, absolutely new person. It's just because they know how to die properly. And then they get filled with the Spirit from the beginning and it's like, amazing. Some of us kind of just die bit by bit, you know. So we grow bit by bit. That's just how it works. The more you want to die, the quicker you're going to grow. The more we surrender, the more we get filled by the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk on wine. I love this NLT version. Do not be drunk on wine because that will ruin your life. It's a good version, isn't it? 
Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the, um, the tense of the Greek, and I'm not big on knowing all that stuff, but someone else told me. The tense of the Greek there in being filled is be filled and keep being filled. So it's not a, I don't know about you, but I, I've been doing that experiment lately. I'll get to that in a minute. The other way we can measure is the fruit of the Spirit. Most have mentioned those this morning somewhere. There you go. Thank you for the confirmation. And this is not an exhaustive list. Can we have it up there? Um, Galatians 5, 22, um, There's just a few things. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And they're fruit, right? And so we can't force them. You know that. They happen or they don't happen. It might like my blueberry bush. Don't you dislike those people that put their magnificent successes on Facebook? That really annoys me. And someone put their amazing blueberry bush, miniature blueberry bush, on Facebook with this fruit, all this fruit. And I, I had to message them back and say, well, mine just does leaves. <laughs> I finally repotted it. That might have something to do with it. So I said, what do you do? They feed it every six weeks. So I'm going to try that and see what happens. <laughs> I was watering it. I thought that was enough. But you can't force fruit, right? We can't force fruit. Fruit is a natural response when everything else underneath is right. And when everything underneath with God is right, the fruit will just come. And we actually can't stop it from coming. And it will overflow. You know, when I've been really full of the Spirit, I can't help but love people. Even the annoying ones. But when I'm not full of the Spirit, even the good ones annoy me. Have you found that? Hey, that's how we measure. If we're full enough, if you're having a bad day and everyone's annoying you, you need to find God fast, even if it's at lunchtime. And get filled up. So the rest of your day is not as crap as the first half. Does that make sense? It's not rocket science. We just don't do it. Another great measure of how full of the Spirit is is how much I evangelize. You know, when the Spirit's poured out, we can't help but tell people about Jesus. If we struggle to tell Jesus, people about Jesus, we're not full of the Holy Spirit enough. This has always messed with me, right? Martin Luther said this, I have so much to do today that I will spend the first three hours in prayer. Gosh, how do you do that? And just when I had trouble believing that, I heard Joyce Meyer say a similar thing. She spends, I don't know whether it's two or three hours in the morning with God. And she said, if I don't do that, you wouldn't even want to meet me, she says. Because you're just not a nice person without Jesus. Three hours. Well, while that's messing with your head, listen to this. Malcolm Gladwell, got no idea who he is, but he defined this concept of the 10,000 hour kind of breakthrough, right? He did this study. In his book, Outliers, the Story of Success, and this is purely a non-Christian thing, right? Studying the rise of people like Bill Gates, Tiger Woods, the Beatles, and other phenomenal success stories in order to become a master at your craft, he determined 
through his research, you have to dedicate at least 10,000 hours. This is the minimum threshold of focused experience that you will set apart from that will set you apart from amateurs in the rest of the world. Here's an example. Michael Phelps, you know that guy? American swimmer, gold medalist, amazing. Swims like a fish. We see this phenomenon clearly in the elite athlete community. Michael Phelps started swimming competitively at age seven. He already held a national record for his age group in the 100-meter butterfly by the age 10. According to his coach, Bob Bauman, Phelps didn't miss a morning with Jesus. Just put that in there. He didn't miss a morning practicing swimming. He didn't miss. He didn't miss a morning practice from the age of 11 through to 16. He would practice on Sundays, birthdays, Christmas mornings. Imagine that. He did his swimming training Christmas morning. But we say to Jesus, oh, I haven't got time this morning. Though we want to be successful in our Christian walk. I'm preaching to myself. You can join me if you want. He would, he would practice on Sundays, birthdays, Christmas mornings just to keep his competitive edge at an average of four hours per day. Now, I just like to, I, I can, I, now the kids are older, I'm managing to usually spend an hour a day with Jesus, right? It's seven and eight in the morning, but not every day. But I've been doing an experiment with my home group. Um, Ask them to keep me accountable, and so far I'm not going so great, right? In that I'm trying to work out how much time do I need to spend with Jesus, and what do I need to do in that time to actually live a spirit-filled life? And I'm finding that an hour actually doesn't do it, because you know what? We get out there in our jobs and our families and the world, and and the old hymn used to call it the dust of earthly striving. Stuff just gets on us. Have you noticed that? Other people's attitudes, other people's opinions, the lies of the enemy, all kinds of junk. And somehow we need to spend enough time with God, drinking from his spirit through his word and through prayer and through worship to make sure there's more of God in me than more of the world. He would spend an average of four hours a day in the pool. This meant Phelps had already shattered the 10,000-hour rule by the time he competed in his first Olympics in Sydney in the year 2000 as the youngest male to make the U.S. Olympic swim team in 68 years. You know what? Training to be a swim person has got nothing to do with growing closer to God, but I thought the hours thing was interesting. Because the journey I'm on at the moment, what price am I prepared to pay to live a victorious Christian life? I'm just trying to work that out at the moment, myself personally. And encourage you on the journey too. We can't, you know, I mean, some people are lucky to make it here every Sunday. If you're just relying on that, you've got Buckley's of living a victorious Christian life. We need to spend at least time every day. And I don't do that. Right? I try. But I, I'd push even further, say, you know what? Let's aim for an hour every day. Find it somewhere. We find 
you know, do what Melissa said. Check your phone and see how much time you waste on stupid junk on the internet. Stupid junk. Worthless, pointless, stupid junk. When you get to heaven or to the gates or whatever happens then and you face the Lord, he's not going to ask you your candy crush score. Just if you're wondering. He doesn't care. Right? Now, if that's healthy self-care downtime, you do it for half an hour religiously to switch off, then fine. You know, let's not get religious and make a bunch of rules. But if you waste a truckload of time and numb your skull when you want to be making that thing lively, don't do it. I haven't found anything more brain-numbing than flicking through Facebook. You ever felt that feeling? It's like a cloud comes over your skull. Isn't it? How to become demented in one easy half an hour. Three. Anyway, two was, if I feel stuck, I need to check that I'm filled with God's spirit. Hopefully I'll give you enough tips how to do that. Three, if I feel stuck, this is my favorite one. That's where it gets messy, even messier, if it's possible. If I feel stuck, I may need to check who I am more than what I do. Second Corinthians. No, I didn't want that one. What did I put up there? Is there a verse coming up? No, I didn't change that either. I don't like that verse anymore. Sorry. The verse I really want, and that one's okay. If anyone's in Christ, is a new creation. That's good, okay? New, change. Like, if you meet God, something should change. Otherwise, you kind of only met him from a distance. If you meet him up close, something should change. At least something should change. Maybe not everything straight away, but something should. The other verse I wanted was Romans 12, 2, and I thought I'd change, I'd change it somewhere. Who knows where I changed it? <clears throat> Obviously not on there. It's a re, um, renewing your mind through the word. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind, right? And that word transformation actually means similar to like metamorphosis. You know, like the, the grub goes into a cocoon and comes out a butterfly. I go, well, the grub's, the caterpillar's cute, but a butterfly's beautiful. Right, And God loves us before we're Christians. But when we encounter Jesus Christ and his spirit, a transformation, a butterfly can't go back to being a caterpillar. The change is significant. And that's what God's talking about, that the change that he brings about in us, we can't be the same. We possibly can't. But what I find is when we stuck, we often look to change our circumstances. Is this true? We change our car, or we change our relationships, or we change our kids' school, or we change where we live. But what if God doesn't want to change our circumstances? Sorry. What if God doesn't want to change your circumstances? What if He wants to use your circumstances? To change you. Is it possible? Because he cares more about you. Because circumstances are going to pass. They're not eternal. But you are. So he cares more about you than about your circumstances. And I don't know about you, but the things that have changed me the most over the life is difficult circumstances. <laughs> That's when I've grown the most in Jesus, friends. I don't welcome them, but I've learned to embrace them. 
because it's the difficult stuff that I pray for God to take away. That often, and you know what? In the five, last five years, I've been praying for God to bring some change that He has not brought. And you know what's changed? Me. I've become more settled. I've become more content after wrestling for four or five years. I've just settled and gone, you know what? If God's not going to open a door, I don't, it doesn't matter whether you try to blow that thing up with explosives. And actually worse than that, if you manage to prize the door open, it's usually an empty lift shaft anyway and you never wanted to go through that thing. Does that make sense? So in the end, we just need to sit down and submit to the will of God. And say, God, so sorry. What did you want? <laughs> what did you want? Forgot to ask that question. That's why I love Dawn's kids time. What did you want? Here's the fun part. You've seen this, but I'm just stealing it from the psychology world. I'm going to use it in the spiritual world. So on your pieces of paper... You think I'm bad at driving this thing, you should see me drive a car. You can laugh, but you're not in the car with me. Can you see that at home? All right. I just wanted to use this illustration I used, and it's probably a bit similar, but as in this is what we see and this is what we don't see. And often this is the stuff we want to change. Our car, our kid's school, our house, our relationships, our partner, whatever. This is the stuff often we mess with this stuff, right? When really this is all only the fruit of this. And we need to look under here for what's some things that may be under there. Secret sin. Sin's bad enough, but when it's secret, it's worse because it grows. It's a bit like finding rotten fruit and you think, oh, I don't know what to do with that. So you stick it under the sink for a good day. You don't do that, do you? So you get the thing, you get rid of it. Bring it out into the light. Unforgiveness is a good one. It festers under here. Sometimes unforgiveness is hard to detect doesn't sit up here. It manifests up here as avoidance, <laughs> usually. Or um, avoidance is probably one of the strongest manifestations of unforgiveness I've come across. Fear. Fear sometimes is a subtle one too. We often, sometimes we see fear manifest up here, but often it just bubbles away underneath here. Stops us from being, I love what Glenda's done. And I believe God's got something for all of us to do, no matter how big, no small, or small, but he's got something for us to do. And, and not if you've already done lots of stuff for God, and that's awesome, but he's still got something for you to do today and tomorrow. See, if, if we want this to flourish, what needs to be under here is a really deep relationship with God. It starts to manifest fruit of the Spirit. And so if I'm experiencing peace under here, then I'm, I'm, I'm looking a lot more attractive up here. It's really funny. When, I, when me and Melissa took on this church, <coughs> I think Becca was, what, six months old? It was crazy. We're already running the Salvos to Salvorship School. 
And um, I don't know, where's, is Cheryl and, <laughs> Cheryl and Val in the room? Do you remember that morning you were in the front office there? And our family store truck had taken a trip to, you know, Melbourne without me knowing. And the clutch had gone. And I go, how does a family store truck even get taken to Melbourne without our permission? That just shouldn't happen. And I walked into the front office there and I said, can I just let off some steam, please? I thought Cheryl and Val were safe people. Do you remember that? You don't remember? Good. Healing of memories. We'll stick with that. <laughs> Wasn't my finest hour. I'm just saying. And then I went to um, uh, some training with the Salvos and they had this thing where they said, um, the leader should be the non-anxious presence in the room. And I went, eh. <laughs> fail <laughs> but I heard it hey that's the one thing I learned that week I thought God help me to be the non-anxious presence in the room help me to journey with you enough that I live out of a space of peace instead of a space of anxiety so I can be the calming influence for others not the anxious presence that affects others does that make sense so anyway you might want to draw that on your page get to that later if you want to if that's something's relevant to you but I want to land here do you want to bring up the picture for me if it's there um, in 2012 the Salvos Discipleship School graduation was part of a big youth thing down at um, not that one hey that's cool but that's not the one yeah that's to show you how to draw it I have to go looking for it. That's all right. I'll tell my story while you look for it. In 2012, we went to Sydney, and the Summer's Discipleship graduation was part of a big youth event in Sydney at the convention centre. And uh, while the youth service was going on and the graduation, all that stuff, they had a prophetic painter um, painting. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's pretty cool. Like people with that gift just paint, and they don't really know what they're painting. Um, and sometimes, usually, they interpret, or someone else will interpret it. And so what this person painted was just circles. I was just painting circles, all different sized circles. Um, and inside the circles were just different colours, like colours of the rainbow. It was, was kind of cool. Like I'm not good at appreciating art, but I thought that's different but cool. And then at the end of the service, I actually asked if she was able to give an interpretation of what she felt God was saying to her through this painting. And um, what God was actually saying to her, she felt. And it resonated with me because this is probably one of my favorite verses, favorite verses in the Bible. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And what she felt God was saying, there you see, see it in the, she's just at the bottom there. She hasn't finished it. There's Mel. It's Catherine over the back there. Nate was there somewhere. Um. See us sitting down there finishing the painting. It's not quite finished at that point. But just all these different circles. And she said, it felt like it was God looking down on us when we're filled with his spirit and that we carry his glory. And there's a verse actually in Revelation that talks about the, the colors of the rainbow almost. Of the, I believe God's presence almost manifests um, also in brilliant colors, you know. And... Um, that we're, and, and my issue is this morning that if we're, if we're stuck somewhere, we, God 
God can't get the good oil in us. He can't get the, leave the picture up, that's okay. He can't get the good stuff inside. So when, you know, the world looks at us, there's just not much to see. But when we allow ourselves to die and be filled with his spirit and deal with the stuff we need to deal with, then we're able to be filled with his spirit and people go, well, I don't know about that guy, but there's something about him that I want to get to know. I don't know about that lady, but there's something about her that I really want to get to know. There's something attractive about them. I just want to spend time with them. And you know what? That's the Spirit of God in us that makes us attractive to people, that causes people to ask us questions. And um, that's how I want to live my life. I might take that off because, you know, anyone wants some chilies? Because I don't think we're going to eat them. Really? There you go. Yeah, of course you do. (laughs) Love it. So this morning, we might get the band to come up, hey? And I don't know what you need to do, because, you know, that's between you and God. But if you realize that you've just been feeding your flesh too much and you need to die to self a bit, do that. I don't know. You might want to, just to get crazy, come and lay out the front to show that you're dead. I don't know. We won't judge you. Do whatever you need to do. Um, if you're already dead, but you realize you haven't been spending enough time to get connected with the power of the Spirit in your life, maybe you just need to sit there or come and... Pray at the front or come and ask me to pray for you or someone else to pray for you to, to just, I don't know, God, help me this week to find time or give me a greater desire to spend time with you. You can even pray for that. You know, I found out one day I can even pray and ask God to give me a desire to read the Bible. If I don't have enough desire to read the Bible, I can actually pray for that. I can pray for anything. So, Lord, help me to have a greater desire to make more time for you and spend less time on Candy Crush or whatever it is. Or maybe you realise that um, you've been trying to fix this. You've been trying to fix everything up here and ignore everything down here. And you can work really hard up here. Nothing's going to change. But if you allow God and others to help you work down here, You'll be surprised what changes. So this is your opportunity to um, do whatever you need to do to engage with the word that's been shared this morning.